Well, welcome to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast, your source for all things sports nutrition related. This show is hosted by myself, Bob Sibahar, and my awesome co-host, Dina Griffin. We are both registered dietitians who are board-certified specialists in sports dietetics with combined professional experience exceeding 40 years. We are here to help provide translations of science to real life, give you some great interviews with a variety of experts and athletes where you can enhance your knowledge, and just bring a great nutrition conversation to you each week. In this episode 69, Dina and I sit down and chat with one amazing female, Dr. Carla DeGeralamo. She, I tell you what, wait until you hear about Dr. Carla. She is a double board certified OBGYN and reproductive endocrinologist who specializes in the care of reproductive age and midlife women. Carla completed her residency training in OBGYN at Brown University Medical School Women's and Infants Hospital, and her reproductive endocrinology fellowship training at the Massachusetts General Hospital at Harvard Medical School. She is a North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner and has been featured in multiple podcasts and speakership at various events discussing the physiology of the hormonal changes of menopause, hormone therapy, and optimizing physical performance in elite and avid recreational female athletes. Dr. Carla has been in the fitness industry her entire life as a recreational athlete and for the last decade as a fitness professional with credentials as a CrossFit Level 1 trainer and certified nutrition coach. As a pioneer in women's performance endocrinology, her focus is on optimizing physical performance in women in high-performance professions and female athletes of all ages. She's currently a partner physician at Boston IVF in Massachusetts. She has over 17 years of experience practicing as a fertility specialist and more recently as a menopause health consultant. Unbelievable, as you can see. Now, what we discuss with her, a lot of different things regarding hormones and female physiology in this episode. So we'll be discussing things like where she has come from, her career path, and how she is actually paving the way in women's performance endocrinology, her varied athletic background, the importance of the menstrual cycle and what it signifies, the things to know about the differences in oral contraceptives, nuances of perimenopause, how do you know if menopause hormone treatment therapy is for you, the marketing and hype in the realm of hormonal health, should you do hormone testing, and finally, nutrition and exercise recommendations. As you can see, this episode is chock full of phenomenal, phenomenal information, so you do not want to miss it. So before we do get to the show, let's just remind you that Dina is launching her new Performance Nourish Circle, which is an eight-week online group coaching program starting in April 2023 for active and athletic women 40 years and older. If you've been dealing with poor energy levels, confusion on what sports nutrition products to use, how to structure training nutrition and recovery to work with your changing female physiology, clarity on supplements, which supplements are best for your performance, and tired of wasting your time on the internet and social media forums for what to do, then this program is for you. Registration opens soon, so head on over to nutritionmechanic.com, click on the services link, and go to the Nourish Circle page to get on the wait list for this great opportunity to level up your training and athletic performance. And now, on to the show. Dr. Carla 
Thank you so much for being here with us today on the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all your listeners for taking the time to be here too. Yay. Well, you know what? I'm going to start with a fun question before we get into some other nitty gritties. But we wondered, since we're recording this at about midday your time frame, we just wondered what your morning was like before you joined us. Did you did you have a breakfast, workout? What was your morning like? So today is my rest day. Usually I work out in the mornings, but today is my my rest day. I usually do six on, one off. Um, okay. So I got up. I, uh, I have a 16-year-old son. Um, of course, I had to drag him out of bed. Um, and because he leaves no time at all to get to the bus, I had to make his waffles for him um, or else he wouldn't get out there on time. And <laughs> then I spent about an hour and a half uh, doing some research and writing for my Substack publication, Athletic Aging, um, for my post that's going to be coming out next week. Uh, and then I had a few hours of seeing uh, patients through my practice at Boston IVF. So I've been doing Zoom patients um, pretty much most of the morning. And uh, and then to follow this, I have some administrative meetings uh, afterwards. Oh, Holy good thing moly. it's your rest day from training. Yeah. Oh, oh, and I did eat. I had, I had a protein shake uh, when I got up, which I do every single morning around 6.30. And then I have my second breakfast around 9 or 10 o'clock, which is usually some hard-boiled eggs. And hmm. today it was um, these protein pancakes that I make that I love to put nuts oh. and stuff in. Yeah. Oh, no sounds sugar. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've, been, I've been eating multiple times in the midst of doing all of this other stuff. Yeah. Can yeah. I ask real quick, Carla, when on days that you do train, do you train after your protein smoothie? Is that kind of, and then yeah. before, oh, okay. So you'll do the protein smoothie, then train and then come yeah. home. And, okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Thank yeah. you. That's what I do on most days. Sometimes I have to train in the afternoon because I'm seeing patients early in the morning, right. um, but I always make sure that I've got something with carbs and protein within an hour of training and within an hour of finishing. Okay. Um, my body is looking for fuel during those times. So, but yeah, Love that's that generally message. what I do. Well, good, and your good. brain, holy moly, just the morning that you've had thus far is oh. like, that's tapping into some brain energy for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, speaking of seeing patients, so we'll be sure to share your bio and everything in our show notes as well for people who want to um, learn so much more about you. I know that you've spent several years in reproductive endocrinology and obstetrics, gynecology, fertility medicine, but it seems here lately, and you've shared elsewhere that you're kind of going into this second phase career-wise, um, coining this awesome realm of work, women's performance, endocrinology, menopause medicine, and so on. Um, could you talk about this shifting focus area of your work and kind of what's behind all of that, even from an inspiration perspective? Sure, sure. And it's, it's right now is the absolute most exciting time of my career. Um, wow. I have been, let's see, I've been a reproductive endocrinologist for 17 years, um, going on 18. And I've been a partner at Boston IVF for the last 10 years. Um, that's what I did immediately coming out of fellowship. 
And I have spent that time mainly um, dealing with reproductive age women, monitoring menstrual cycles, treating infertility, and treating other disorders of hormone function, mostly in reproductive age women. But there's always that overlap into the perimenopausal and menopausal population because we see a lot of premature menopause because women are not having their periods. They want to get pregnant. They come to us, they're 30 years old, and we diagnose them as being completely menopausal. So we have a lot of that. And there's also a lot of perimenopausal women in their mid to late 40s um, and even menopausal women who want to get pregnant and build their families. So it's really quite an interesting and very diverse uh, field um, of, of infertility. So I've been doing that for about 17 years. And, and on the side, I've, I've always, since the age of seven, I've been a recreational athlete. And even in med school residency, um, I always managed to make it to the gym to try to participate in some way. And then it was probably when I turned 40 that my midlife crisis was becoming a fitness instructor. I didn't buy a Corvette. <laughs> I didn't go out and have an affair. I, I became a fitness professional. Love that. And, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, I was through residency and fellowship and I had my son. Um, my son was about four at that time. I had him oh my six and I had gained 30 pounds. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm not the athlete I used to be. I need to get that back. And so um, I just started training again, lost all that weight pretty quickly. And I've been hooked ever since. And I became a body combat instructor, body pump instructor. And so this, this athlete fitness professional path has always been in parallel with my medical career. Wow. And so what was starting to happen was that, you know, women in the perimenopausal and menopausal space were coming to me as fitness clients. And I'm like, huh, I really need to learn more about menopause. So mm. a couple of years ago, I decided, well, I need to get the certification in menopausal medicine because this is a vast field, subspecialty in and of itself. And I just don't see that that much of it as a fertility specialist. So did the training, took the exam, became certified, and then started seeing more of those menopausal patients. And then as I was doing that, I had reproductive age women in high performance professions like military, firefighters, athletes, coming to me saying, hey, I'm getting stress fractures and my military officers are not helping me train. I'm trying to train for the special forces position and I don't know what I'm doing and I've had three stress fractures. So then it was evolving into this, okay, it's not just perimenopausal and menopausal women that are needing this expertise, but it's throughout the entire reproductive spectrum. And so what I kind of coined for myself was this is a whole new area of endocrinology. This is women's mm. performance endocrinology. Mm. And I've been following all of Stacey Sims' work. I mean, she mm. knows training in the menstrual cycle better than I think anybody on the planet. So I consider myself a student of hers. So mm. I take a lot of her expertise and integrate it into my own expertise as an endocrinologist. And voila, this new field of endocrinology is born. So in 2024, I'm going to be retiring from Boston IVF. Oh, and, my gosh. Uh, full time opening up my new practice in uh, the state of Florida because I'm moving oh. there. Oh, wow. We're all wow. going to Pompano Beach. My, my son's going to be going to college down there. So oh we're all gosh. going off to college together. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be doing this full time. So That's it's incredibly amazing. exciting. It's incredibly wow. scary. Um, but I am so ready to do this and I'm glad, you know, I'm not a spring chicken, but I'm not an old hag either. I am young enough to probably make a career of this for the next 20 years or so. So oh, at least, at least, oh, at yeah. least. So, yeah, for sure. Carla, is this, story. 
is this women's performance in chronology? I mean, how, how new is that? Is this, because I know nothing of this. I mean, this term, literally, when I first saw it, I was like, what is that? Is this something... I mean, I completely... created it. You yeah. created it. Okay. I created it. This is, okay. this is, this is my I love this. thing. I, I, love I, I put my, st- well, I was thinking about, I'm like, well, what, what do I call this? You know, it's yeah. like, I was at yeah. this crossroads of, well, I want to help reproductive age women. There's a real need here, but I don't right. want to abandon the perimenopausal and menopausal populations. Right. How do I bring these two together under the same umbrella? And working with my branding coach, his name is Patrick Cummings. He's absolutely awesome. I kind of brainstormed this with him. And he says, you need to find the common thread. Find Mm -hmm. the common thread. And that's what's going to be your umbrella. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, that common thread is endocrinology and women's performance. So let's call it women's performance endocrinology. And so I get get to be the first. And I, I got my... My stake in the ground, and I I googled everything. I made sure no one yeah. else was doing it. The term's not out there. No one's got a domain on GoDaddy or anything. So yeah, you're definitely gonna have to trademark that one if you haven't already. Yeah, this is yeah. true. My 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 husband, who's a lawyer, keeps telling me that. I was like, you got to get the trademark. Yeah, yeah. Hey, honey, can I help some people first? That's really the totally, word. totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it uh, though. Uh, I was just going to say, I love what you said about like, it's not just someone doing marathons, certain age, certain box, it's all women, right? And whatever their passions are, it's supporting that from a health performance angle. Yeah, it's so and cool. these women in these in these in these occupations that are high performance, yeah. and we're not just talking firefighters and military and police officers. We're talking CEO executives. Mm-hmm. High performing women also yeah. are women that are using their brains. They're under high stress because they're running big companies in very very difficult financial environments, etc. So high performance isn't just physical; it's mental. And many of these women, I'm finding, feel very lost because everything that they're told about performance is based on research and dogma in in men. And Mm -hmm. men are not women. Women are very different, um, you know, and we have a different physiology and different needs. And they feel very lost because, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, it's like a square peg going into the round hole. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're being told, we got to train like a man, but you're a woman. And, and they wonder why they're losing their periods and getting fractures and, and not, right. not gaining in performance. Right. So they Definitely. feel lost. And that's a void that I'm trying to fill. Love. I, we definitely want to move into some physiology talk. Um, but real quick, you mentioned age of seven when you were, you know, birthing your athlete self, what were your younger years like as an athlete? Because you mentioned a little bit. I was a softball player. I was a softball player. Yeah. I I wanted to be a football player. Um, My father was a semi-pro football player. And so we were all family. And so I wanted to play football, but of course those opportunities were not available to to girls at that time. So I played, I played softball in high school. I played softball and volleyball. Um, Then um, I had uh, a surgery that kind of took me out of that for Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of my high school career. And then in college, I was in med school and didn't really uh, do collegiate sports, but I was always in the gym. And then um, in my forties, it turned into competitive singles tennis, um and uh crossfit and what else have i played some more softball (laughs) as an adult but you know mostly competitive tennis in my 40s and 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 crossfit as well 
that's kind of cool to see how you've evolved too, from younger to mid, right? Let's just call it mid where, where we're all at now. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I'll take mid. I mean, we're all aging, but I, I, I hate putting that label of old because I don't know what that really means. Right. It's yeah. just, we're just progressing through this lifespan together. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So let me, so we're going to, let's, let's shift a little bit. And, and I do want to kind of pick apart the whole premenopause versus peri and meno. I, I work with a lot of young female athletes, um, college age, actually high school, college, 20s, 30s, you know, all premenopausal. And the common thread, Carla, that it, it's kind of a challenge for me and, and sometimes a pain point is there, even though I'm trying to teach in the, the, importance of tracking menstrual cycles, the health implications, and just basically just tracking, but the health implications of when periods start to change, what's happening with the period. Like, I mean, can you share the importance, like from a medical perspective, what is the importance for these premenopausal females just to start tracking their menstrual cycle? And why is that so important? Sure. So First of all, I know people don't always love tracking menstrual cycles. It's like tracking food logs, right? Yeah, Everybody yeah. loves to track their food. They, <laughs> they love just as much tracking their menstrual cycles. Yeah. Um, and, and many times people just don't know how to do it. You know, basal body temperatures are a pain to do. You're looking for this half a degree. Um, really, the best way to do it is for urinary LH uh, kits mm. that you can get over the counter. That's the best way to track. Mm. Uh, and with a calendar, you know, calendar and a journal, that's the best way mm. to do it. But the reason to do it is because in women, the menstrual cycle is a vital sign that tells you what's going on with your physiology. And this was evolutionarily programmed. And it's very powerful um, because the two things that are tied together inexplicably are the stress response, the hormonal pathways of the stress response and reproduction. Because if, you know, if we think of where, say we're in the animal kingdom, if we're going through a time where we're being preyed upon, right? What happens is during stress, the stress response shuts off the menstrual cycle and makes it more difficult to procreate. And that makes sense because if there is a bear right. in the woods ready to eat you, that's not a good time to be having babies. Right. So what nature has done is programmed that stress response to directly impact the menstrual cycle uh, for the sheer reason for promoting survival of the species. So it's a very powerful mechanism that exists. And how we use it as civil in, in a civilized society is that when the menstrual cycle is off, that means there's something going on in the physiology that needs to be addressed. Mm. Maybe the thyroid function is off. And thyroid is very important. You got to fix that. Maybe, you know, we know that many women are very sensitive to stress when they're changing jobs or moving, God forbid, going through a divorce, their menstrual cycles can be off. When they have an mm -hmm. illness, their menstrual cycles can be off. When they're not eating enough and training too hard, their menstrual cycles can shut off for a long period of time. And so what it is, it's a mirror. It's a way a woman can very easily say, okay, I'm six weeks late for my period. Well, first thing you got to do is check to make sure you're not pregnant. That's the number right. one thing. But <laughs> yeah. in the absence of pregnancy, it really really is a very, very critical sign that one can use to say, hmm, something's not quite right. And it gives you an opportunity to scope that out because our bodies are primed for performance when it's in balance and it's mm -hmm. in balance when the menstrual cycles are in balance. Mm 
Right. Now, right. there's always exceptions to every rule. Some people have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Some people have, you know, other things going on that can alter their menstrual cycles. But, you know, for the majority, menstrual cycles are supposed to be monthly, you know, give or take a few days. If mm. that goes off, if there's a change from baseline, that means something's going on. Yeah. And I find a lot of young females, they don't put that two and two together, uh, mostly because I think they weren't taught to do that at a young age, right? So when they were going through, um, I mean, when it really in the early teens, um, they were, you know, menstruation was starting, uh, depending on the, on the person, you know, there wasn't a lot of guidance sometimes. And that's kind of what I'm seeing in the high school female athletes I'm working with. And my message is, you know, start tracking just like you were saying, because just, I love what you said, because those stressful times of life are when things are going to start going array. And I find like with high school female athletes, that first major stressful time is going to college, right? And then if they're playing athletics in college, that's a huge stressor for at least a year. And then it's that transition out of college because now they're, maybe they're not playing competitive sports and they're actually jumping into their career. So there's so many, I think, stressful times for these premenopausal females and, and again, it's that tracking, it's the, oh, please track, right? I mean, that's what we're, our message is, is trying to be uh, said here. And are there, are there specific, like in, in your opinion, um, and, and even just your professional, not even an opinion, but data driven, should these premenopausal females be adapting their nutrition and training according to their menstrual cycle? Like, where are we at with the research with that? I think it depends on your goals. You know, I think it's important for your general recreationally active females in that stage of life to be aware of the of their menstrual okay. cycle. I don't yeah. necessarily think they need to track every ovulation and write it down in a journal if they're right. recreational and active, but be aware. Know that okay, if I miss a period this month, I need to investigate. At right. least you know that if you are an athlete that is competitive and you are training and you have competitions and events and things like that in mind, it can be very useful to track a little bit more closely with your ovulation, with a calendar and a journal of how you feel. So I think for competitive athletes, it can mm -hmm. be very helpful to know when is something wrong? That's the big thing because right. the first place you got to look if there is something wrong and periods are going off is you got to make sure you're fueling your training properly. That's yes. the number yes. one thing that's going to shut down um, if it's not going correctly. So that's the first thing. And then in terms of, okay, if you have regular menstrual cycles, and this is not on birth control pills, this is natural mm. menstrual cycles. Mm. There are definitely differences in how nutrients are utilized and responses to training that differ between the first part of the cycle and the second half of the mm -hmm. cycle with the middle being ovulation. Right. So I think for competitive athletes, there's definitely utility in gaining that additional edge. Yeah. Uh, but for people who are recreational, maybe not competitive, I think just a general awareness is, okay. uh, is, is what suffices. I feel I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but I just, if you can briefly ex or tell me, you, cause you mentioned, you know, birth control. And so if we, I mean, do you have any quick tips for these females, uh, recreational or competitive in the premenopausal stage, maybe they're on oral birth control, maybe they're an IUD, uh, copper or hormonal. I mean, 
it, it's so vast, right? But are there any recommendations or anything, again, surrounding the training and nutrition regarding if they are on a birth control method, anything you can share regarding those? It's a tough one because any birth control method that you use, with the exception of the copper IUD, and I'll explain why, is going mm. to mask the true menstrual cycle so that you mm. don't know what's going on. So if you have a progesterone-containing IUD, which tends to be my preference because mm. it does allow, after a certain settling out period after you first, it does allow natural ovulation and natural cycles to continue. Mm. But typically with a progesterone IUD, it thins the lining of the uterus so much, you don't know where you are in your cycle, you're not mm. getting a menses. And that freaks women out sometimes. Sometimes right. women love it. They don't have to have a period. They're happy as a clam. Other women kind of get freaked out that, okay, I'm not getting a monthly period. This just doesn't feel right. Um, with a birth control pill, those bleeds are withdrawal bleeds. They're not ovulatory bleeds. They're not real physiologic bleeds. They are bleeds simply because the hormone um, pills are changing at the end of that three-week cycle. Right. Um, both are very effective birth control methods, um, and, and, and they're very safe and uh, widely used. But from a physiology standpoint, you have to understand that's what you're getting when you use these methods is you're right. going masking your natural cycle. And uh, the copper IUD, I say, was an exception because the copper IUD is, still allows you to have a bleed every month with excellent contraception. And um, it does obviously allow your cycles to continue. So okay. that's probably okay. the one method that allows you to know what's going on with your physiology and effectively prevent pregnancy. That is one of the most succinct and clear methods of describing that and explain that, that I've ever heard. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. I was just thinking, Dr. Carla, as, you know, as we age, get into forties, fifties, um, starting to experience changes in menstrual cycles and, you know, many potential experiences along the way, something I've heard you talk about, which I just would love to hear you um, talk on a little bit more is this appreciation for each female's experience and how that can be vastly different from one another. Um, and granted that we're both kind of in, in same age range here and can speak to that personally even, but I just wonder if you could share a little bit of that just so that listeners can appreciate that from themselves. Cause I, there's so much negative negativity out there. I think we can, normalize this experience, not to discount it by any means, but just shedding light on kind of the beauty of it all, if if that makes sense. No, it, it really does in, you know, the perimenopausal transition. So let's define it first. So what does that mean? That means it's the transition from reproductive competence to ultimately menopause, which is reproductive quiescence, okay? It's essentially going into puberty into reverse, okay? <laughs> we remember puberty was like, we're going through it in reverse now because um, uh -huh. we're returning back to reproductive quiescence, which is where it all started. So this is around four to eight years for most women. And what's happening is, is the ovaries are not producing the estrogen they used to produce because the egg supply of reproductive eggs is starting to decline. And so what happens when the ovary isn't producing its estrogen, the uh, hormonal signaling and the hormonal conversations that happen become very dysregulated and more chaotic. And so what, is, what the experience is, is that 
it feels like all hell is breaking loose in your body. You know, you've got decline in bone density, you're losing muscle mass, body composition's changing, you're moody, you may not be sleeping, you're getting hot flashes. There is a lot going on and every woman's experience is different. Some women, you know, it's just like pregnancy. Some women experience morning sickness with pregnancy, other women don't. Um, the perimenopausal transition is very much the same. Uh, some women are very sensitive to the fluctuations of their hormones, some women are not. But universally, um, the best advice I can give perimenopausal women is don't make your body the enemy. Your body has been with you all of these years, and now it's going through a change. It's going through puberty in reverse, and it needs you at this time. But so many women feel, including myself, I went through this myself and didn't really realize it until my wonderful coach, Erica Snyder, really helped me work through it myself, is that when you make your body the enemy, it's going to make it a lot worse. Um, you know, you feel like your body's betraying you. You can't do the same things in the same way that you used to. I can't tell you how many times I hear all the same stuff that used to work isn't working anymore. Mm. And it's not working anymore because the physiology is not the same. So rather than trying to fight it tooth and nail, which many women do and getting angry with themselves and having all this negativity, you have to take a breath and say, okay, this is normal. This is a normal process. It sucks, but it's normal. And so let's understand it. Let's understand what's going on and let's learn to work within it. And be understanding for your body when you are scheduled to do heavy back squats one day and your body's just not having it, say, okay, that's all right. We're going to do a little endurance and we're going to do some yoga. And then we're going to maybe go back to it tomorrow. Um, but just not to have that antagonistic relationship with yourself because your body can't do the same things it used to be able to do just is going to make it worse. So be kind to yourself, be kind to your body. Don't make it the enemy during this process. As we start talking about this a little bit more in our perimenopause years, the, these different challenges that that present themselves <laughs> in different ways, I wondered if you could uh, talk on the question that I'm sure you hear frequently is, should I be doing hormone therapy? Is this for me? How do I know? And then especially if, if we're talking with a physician who maybe isn't hearing us, like how we can think about or even advocate for ourselves other than obviously reaching out to you for assistance, but um, just this common issue, like, is that a thing for me or how scary is this? Or does it need to be something um, I seriously should consider? It's really tough because it's such a multifaceted question um, with a multifaceted answer. Um, I think the first thing people need to do as they're going through this, or even before in anticipation of going through it, is to find sources of education that are reliable. Um, you know, find your podcast, find your people. I love Feisty Media um, as, as a resource. I think Celine Yeager does a tremendous job um, understanding the literature and sifting through the crap and finding the, 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 the diamonds in the rough there. So finding your people, finding uh, valuable and reliable sources, first and foremost, is the first thing anyone wants to do. You want to educate yourself. You probably know that I focus on blood sugar optimization throughout the day and minimizing GI distress while maintaining steady energy during training and competition. Because of this, I am super excited to have UCAN as one of our podcast sponsors. 
both Dina and I have been longtime supporters of UCAN because of their steady release carbohydrate Live Steady. Originally developed as a medical food for kids with life-threatening hypoglycemia, Live Steady is now allowing athletes of all levels to fuel their personal best. I actually recommend my athletes use UCAN products both in training and throughout the day if they feel a blood sugar crash coming. UCAN has been a serious game changer, not only for my own athletic journey, but also for so many athletes I've worked with, ranging from young athletes to collegiate athletes to Olympians. UCAN helps maintain steady energy levels throughout the day without any nasty spikes and drops in blood sugar. Most sports nutrition products push the idea that more energy means more sugar, but UCAN gives you more energy with less sugar. It's truly unique, and if you visit their website, youcan.co, that's youcan.co, you can save 20% on their energy bars, their gels, powders, and more. Be sure to use the code ISN podcast during checkout. Then you want to find a provider who is educated also, and that is Mm -hmm. easier said than done because it is well known that there is a dearth of specialists in menopausal medicine. That is one of the big crises in women's health right now is the Mm. lack of expertise and understanding um, of even general OBGYNs in this field of medicine. And, you know, I don't blame them because OBGYN is a vast enough field and menopausal health is emerged as its own subspecialty. How can anyone Mm. be good at all of it? So you want to look for menopause informed specialists. Um, a great place to look is the North American Menopause Society website, NAMS. It's uh, menopause.org. And they actually have a list of providers who have gone through the training, the testing, like I mentioned that I had done and have become certified menopause practitioners. You know that they have a good knowledge base. Um, there are no other certifications of that type in osteopathic medicine, although an osteopath can become a NAM certified practitioner. Um, I don't believe there are any naturopaths out there. There are a lot of people who claim to be menopause informed, Mm -hmm. but maybe are not. And you have to always be on the lookout for that. So educating yourself and finding a provider who's menopause informed are the two main things that you have to do. And then once you find a provider and educate yourself, then it's a risk benefit conversation about, okay, what is my personal history? Um, you know, do I have a history of bone fracture? Do I have a history of cardiovascular disease? Do I have a history of blood clots? And you work with your provider on your very specific circumstance to determine what are the benefits of it. HT and what are the risks? And that's how you come to decide whether or not HT is right for you. Yeah. Carla, can I jump back real quick? What you said, um, because I'm totally just curious, is is menopause, is that subspecialty that you were saying, is that being taught at all in either medical school or is it part of a rotation after medical school? Or you know, is that or is it completely after you become a physician, then you kind of have to carve your own path into that and, and seek that out. You do have to carve your own path into it. Okay. Um, there, are, there are family practice uh, practitioners who have become menopause uh, certified okay. specialists, OBGYN, general OBGYNs, and reproductive yeah. endocrinologists like myself. Um, now, I was in medical school, oh my God, it was 1993. We're talking yeah. 20, you know, some odd years ago, 30 yeah. years ago almost now. We didn't talk. I didn't think I knew what menopause was until I was a resident. Um, Or maybe I knew it because my mom was going through it. You know, there's no education. There wasn't back then. I would hope and pray that in the last 30 years, they would have more education on that. 
But even so, I mean, I, I am sometimes shocked at what my generalist colleagues in OBGYN mm. do not know about menopausal medicine. Yeah. Again, and I don't blame them because they, yeah. they, you know, they got their hands full trying to figure out how to manage difficult pregnancies. That, right, you know, right, right. That's, that's a lot to, to swallow. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like any health field. I mean, even in the nutrition and, you know, registered dietitian world, I mean, there's so many subspecialties that we can go down that specific rabbit hole and you, you, you can't always just be, I mean, yeah, I guess you could be a generalist, but when it comes to something like this, it almost, it almost begs that, you know, our listeners, our females are really answer asking these questions to their, their specialist, to their physicians. And maybe it's, maybe it's him or her, or maybe it's someone else that they have to explore. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What is, is there such thing as balancing hormones during this phase? Like, <laughs> you know, what, what is that? Does that exist? People claim it exists. Nature always has the last word. Okay. That's, yeah. that's yeah. one thing I've learned as a fertility doctor is that yeah. we do all of these miraculous things in the laboratory with multi-million <laughs> dollar equipment. And we can we can put sperm we can take sperm out of testicles we can take eggs out of menopausal women yeah. put them together but if that pregnancy is not meant to happen it's not happening so okay. nature has the last word and when people claim to balance hormones you're not balancing anything and right. if you really think you are you are fooling yourself because at the end of the day nature does what it does what we do is maybe we balance the effects of what mm. those hormone changes are. You can mitigate effect, but you're not going to change those hormones. You know, right. I love it when people get on and say, I'm a balancing hormone balancing, uh, you know, uh, personal trainer. Okay, yeah. well, can you stop osteoporosis <laughs> single-handedly? Can you stop sarcopenia and loss of right. muscle loss single-handedly? Really? Yeah. No, of course you can't. But what you do is you do strength training, you do muscle training, you do all kinds nope. of things to help mitigate the effects, mm-hmm. but you're not balancing any hormones. You're just mitigating right. them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> it is good. I, th- I think of also some of the marketing out there as well in terms of like the hormone supplementation or replacement Uh, And then the terms that are used, I know there's a little controversy, you know, natural hormones, or do I, do I do like the bio identical or the body identical or, and then those go down different methods of hormone supplementation or hormone therapy. Can you speak to any of that? Cause it can be so confusing. It can. And, um, a lot of it is marketing. Okay. Mm. In in the world we live in, I don't yeah. like to be cynical. I'm one of the most yeah. positive people out there and I give everybody the benefit of the doubt first and foremost. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of marketing and people are trying to make money. And this whole term bioidentical, body identical, again, it's the same mentality of thinking that you can balance hormones. You're mm. not providing anything identical to what the body produces during reproductive life. Now, there are, if you want to define bioidentical hormones, it is basically a hormone that is the same chemical structure as what is secreted by the human body. Like 17 beta estradiol is predominantly one of the estrogens, estrogen types that's produced by the ovary. There's also other ones, there's estrones and things like that. 
Micronized progesterone, that is a chemical structure that is very, very, very similar, if not identical to what the ovary produces. That's as close as you're going to get. But at the end of the day, these chemical structures still have to be produced in a laboratory. And when they are administered to an individual, it's not subject to the same regulation using enzymes and other hormones and hormone pathways as when it's produced in the in the ovary because the ovary is subject to lots of regulatory mechanisms when you take estrogen even if it's bioidentical or 17 beta estradiol you slap that patch on your skin you're going to have you know a, a phase where the hormone levels go up in the blood and then they're going to go down there's no regulation there and so to even say that anybody can replicate what is going on in the body, again, is foolhardy because you just can't. It is too complex for anyone to be able to produce it in a lab and reproduce the same environment that existed in reproductive life when the ovaries were functioning um, normally. and Well, not normally, but with periods, regular periods. So a lot of the confusion I get from females in this category, the perimenopausal, is do I need hormone testing? how, why, what, is there utility in that? What's what's your professional opinion on that? It depends. It depends. Okay. Under the age of 45, that's, that's kind of early to be mm-hmm. going through the perimenopausal transition. We usually mm-hmm. think of the perimenopausal transitioning happening after age 45. Okay. So the best use of hormones, and this is pretty blanket recommendation across the North American Menopause Society, the, the British Menopause Society, et cetera, that hormones really should be used to exclude disease. So if someone comes to me with hot flashes, I'm going to do a TSH to make sure that they don't have a thyroid disorder that's causing their hot flashes. If they're 47 years old, I'm not going to check an FSH or an estradiol because in every 47-year-old, it's going to be abnormal. And it changes so rapidly. You could check these hormones at eight in the morning and check them again at three o'clock in the afternoon, and they could be vastly different, even within a span of hours. So checking your hormones doesn't just to monitor them is futile because they're going to change hour by hour. But when you check hormones, like if I have a 40 year old who hasn't gotten her period in six months, I am sure as heck going to be checking her FSH and her estradiol Mm -hmm. because she could be prematurely menopausal. So that is helping me exclude a condition rather than, well, I'm just going to check the hormone levels and see if they're quote unquote normal because that. That just is is futile and it isn't helpful. But hormone checking hormone levels is useful for excluding a disease process. Okay. What about the females who are getting very close to menopause, like cessation of menstrual cycle, 12 months, like very close, like they're kind of teetering. Like, are there any hormone tests that they would need to do or are recommended to do at that stage? Like just about, and like menopause is right around the corner, literally. In the absence of any problems? No, there's no need to. I mean, menopause is defined as one year beyond the final menstrual period. It's really the menstrual period that uh, is what determines when menopause happens. Um, But sometimes, you know, you might have a woman who's had a hysterectomy, you have might have a woman Mm -hmm. with a progesterone IUD. But still, even hormone levels under those circumstances are not helpful because at age 45, 46, at the very beginning of perimenopause, your FSH could be 100. Um, at the very end of menopause, your FSH could be hundred. So, right. you know, it's the, the, still not very helpful, um, okay. but it can get confusing when women don't have their period as that 
uh, litmus test because they've right. had a hysterectomy or because they have a progesterone IUD. Is it helpful for females in premenopausal, then peri, then menopausal to have you know a, a line of hormone levels tested in those three different phases as as no. comparison? No. No, because they change oh. all the time. Like I said, okay. you know, you could check yeah. them at eight in the morning, your FSH could be seven and you, right. you could check an FSH at 3 p.m. and it could be 50. Gotcha. I mean, the fluctuations are that wide. And so you don't track these things because they're just not trackable because of okay. the level of chaos and fluctuation. Man, that is such a powerful message right there because yeah. I hear so much, I mean, so much stuff floating around is, oh, you need to check these, check these when you're 20 and then 30 and then 40 and then 50 and like, wow, <laughs> what do we do? Not, not reproductive hormones. I mean, that might be true right. of thyroid and some other things. Right, right, right. Uh, certainly not your reproductive hormones. This, okay. Okay. Do you know, Carla, effects on athletic performance for those who are on MHT or does it depend like? type of MHT dosing, our own individual story? Like, is there much out there in terms of the research and potential negatives on performance or even positives? Well, it depends. You know, the most common reason why people take hormone therapy is to help with hot flashes. Hot flashes can mm -hmm. be absolutely debilitating and can yeah. keep women up at night. It can, that sleep deprivation can then result in brain fog and excessive fatigue. And if you can solve that, you're going to improve her performance simply mm -hmm. just because you improved her sleep. Right. Um, so you really have to think about, well, what is the reason she's taking the hormone therapy? Like I said, most common reason is for hot flashes and, yeah. um, that could very well improve performance just so, because she's getting better sleep at night. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the absence of hot flashes, in the absence of any debilitating or life altering issues, you wouldn't take MHT for athletic performance. I mean, we know from reproductive age women that when you take birth control pills, which is just a higher dose form of, of hormone therapy, that it impairs athletic performance because you're not allowing the body to cycle normally and to utilize fuel and to train and respond to training at the different phases of the cycle. That's just not happening when you're taking birth control pills. And so, you know, when you're in the menopausal phase, you know, you're not really um, you're not really helping performance by taking it unless you're treating hot flashes or something that's debilitating and affecting your life. That makes sense for sure. Helping out the symptoms so that we can train better and uh, recover better. You mentioned thyroid earlier, and I was curious why... And this probably isn't simple answer either, but thyroid issues seem to be more common as we get into perimenopause years. So I don't know if that's athlete scope more or all women in perimenopause, menopause years seem to be more prone to issues. Is there something there that can be pieced apart? It's all women. Um, in general, thyroid dysfunction increases in its prevalence as women age. Over the age of 35, it starts to increase more. Um, it's about, I'd have to check back on the statistics. I want to say it's about four to five, maybe even six times more common in women than in men. And one would say, okay, well, what is the reason for that? Maybe it has to do with hormone cycles and maybe it has to do with the perimenopause transition. But 
there's also a lot of autoimmune causes of uh, hypothyroidism. One of the more common causes of hypothyroidism is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. That's an autoimmune mm. disease. Autoimmune diseases tend to be a little bit more common in uh, women as well. So we don't know if this is a hormone thing, is it an autoimmune thing? But what we do know is that in women across the board, whether they're athletes or not, we do see that increase in incidence of thyroid dysfunction as women age. Okay. So monitoring thyroid function throughout might be more important than, of course, with symptomology and, and so forth. Especially um, if there's a family history. If there's okay. a family history, okay. you know, you might be a little bit more vigilant about it. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, you would want to speak to your provider about it. That makes sense. I was curious what your top nutrition tips are for women. I mean, even if we're talking the younger you know, pre-menopause, I hate to categorize based on, you know, menstrual cycle or reproductive stage of life, but just some general nutrition tips either for the peri-postmenopause or pre-menopause. What are the top things that you look for when you're doing assessments? So across the board of all ages, I think my messaging is make sure you're eating enough. Um, not just enough energy to fuel your workouts, but the right macronutrients. You need enough protein. This is especially mm. true for women in that perimenopausal transition because in the perimenopausal and menopause, things are breaking down. You're losing muscle mass because of the loss of estrogen. You're losing bone mass. And the, and the protein becomes much more important then uh, to try to mitigate those losses and try to prevent loss you're never going to stop it you know it's always going to happen but you can you can you can mitigate it um but it's also important for reproductive age women who are training hard you know the body needs to fuel mm -hmm. and repair and it needs the nutrients and the building blocks to do that it's unfortunate that in our society uh reproductive age women as well as middle-aged women um are always subject to body image issues mm -hmm. and so you know you see in the professional athlete realm, these girls, these women are on Instagram and they get body shamed and it's <sighs> cruel and ruthless what's going on out there. And that can affect anybody. Um, you know, then they, they, they're, they're training and then they're, you know, trying to cut and they're trying to look a certain way and they are managing their nutrients in such a way that is not helping their performance, uh, but instead is helping them achieve this aesthetic. And then they wind up having to choose. And they might be losing their periods and, and affecting their health, on, you know, on top of it. And then in middle age, you know, we start seeing those body composition changes that normally happen when our estrogen levels start declining. And the first knee jerk reaction is, oh, my God, I got to train more and I got to eat less. Yeah. And so then you put yourself in a low energy availability state, and then that's going to make you hold on to fat even more. So you always, no matter what age you're at, you want to check yourself. Are you eating enough? And are you eating enough of the right stuff? And are you, oh. are you fueling according to when your body needs it? You know, you might get 1800 calories a day, but if you're training in the morning and you don't eat dinner until eight o'clock mm. at night, your body's going to still think it's starving because it's not getting the fuel when it needs it. So though that's probably the main piece of advice I have through women of all reproductive ages, because I see that common thread among all of them and my many aged, my, my wide range of age clients. I could literally hug you right now, Carla. I, know. I, I wish we were Virtual closer hugs. because, oh, I mean, it's so much of our messaging that <laughs> and Dean and I do. And 
Yeah. Um, and, and as I said, I work with so many young females and, and males, but since we're on the females we're here and it is that it's the body image. It's the shaming. Um, I work with a lot of sports who unfortunately like gymnastics who are graded, unfortunately, based on how their body looks. I, you know, I've been one of the proponents to step outside that and say, I don't, I, you know, I know it's, it's ingrained in that sport, but I don't think those things should happen. And, you know, I was just talking to an athletic trainer the other, the other week, and we were talking about this very exact thing. And, and she said, are there certain sports where body image and, you know, is really more of a problem? And I said, no, it's across all boards. And, and, it's, it is unfortunate. So I, I love your message of eating enough and please listeners, please listen to that eating enough and definitely protein, especially throughout the aging continuum. I just cannot, I cannot repeat that enough. So one, thank you so much. And you know, it, it makes sense, right? And, and you brought something to light that I just want to hit on, you know, as, as females are aging and things are happening in body comp, again, the knee jerk reaction is eat less, train more. And that could actually be destroying the body and, and creating other imbalances that are very difficult to come out of. And I think both Dina and I have seen that on the nutrition side of things. And it's, it's, it's very alarming to be honest with you. So thank you for that message. Is there anything from like the train, like for this category of the menstrual cycle that we're in now, anything from a training perspective that, that females would need to know or, or anything else, you know, regarding this menstrual cycle phase that females would, would want or need to know that well, we have in been the peri, In the perimenopausal in the menopausal phase, uh, resistance training, weight bearing, uh, you know, lifting, as, as Stacey Sims likes to talk about, lifting heavy shit, LHS. Yeah. It yeah. is so important in that stage of life, again, because the perimenopause and perimenopausal states are very catabolic. You know, things are breaking down because of the lack of estrogen. So just like consuming enough protein is important to stem the decline, so is stimulating the muscles. So what you kind of have to do is you have to work on those pathways that the muscles respond to that are independent of the hormones. It's kind of like making an end run around the mm. hormones. So you start doing your deadlifts, your heavy back squats, you're stimulating your muscles in a way that compensates for the lack of stimulation that you are not getting from the estrogen side of the equation. Mm -hmm. So in women in that middle stage of life, this is the time to start deadlifting. This is the time to start doing those heavy back squats. Of course, you want to do it safely. If heavy for you is a PVC pipe, heavy for you is a PVC pipe. You got to start mm -hmm. somewhere and use a good trainer to help you build weight safely. Um, I've got my 93-year-old mother doing deadlifts and chair oh squats. Oh my gosh, I awesome. love it. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah one time I, I, I came home and like she comes to our house a lot and, and I couldn't find her. I'm like, oh no, she's falling somewhere. Oh my God, <laughs> I was petrified. I go downstairs, I find her on my Concept 2 rower. Oh. Honey, what's this? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dress to the nines, right? Because that's what that generation does. Yeah. She's yeah. sitting on my concept yeah. two rower. And I'm like, Mom, I thought you <laughs> fell. I thought you were dead. And uh, but anyway, just a little a little sidebar there. But but yes, no matter what age you're at, the, the point of bringing up my 93-year-old mother is that I don't care how old you are, that stage of life is when you've got to start doing that stuff because yeah. your muscles need that more than ever. Yeah. I Perfect. love that. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. Dr. Carla, we'll be sure to put the links to your awesome, um, Substack blogs because you have such great training advice, um, and so much more. I mean, there's so much 
research evidence and so forth that you present. It's such a great resource. So we'll be sure to put links to that. I wondered real quick before we transition to our high five segment, um, could you talk about the new course that you have? Sure. Yes. So I have written a course that was primarily written for fitness professionals of, of any area who want to learn more about perimenopause and menopause and the physiologic changes in the experience of women going through the stage of life, because there's more and more demand for menopause informed providers, whether they're fitness professionals or physicians. And so MedFit um, is a company that asked me to do this course. And uh, it's a 13 hour course, it's about eight hours of video, about five hours of self-study exercises. Um, it is Certified and give CEUs, varying number of CEUs depending on the organization that you're getting, you're you're applying for, um, and you can find it through the MedFit Classroom. And I've got some great interviews with Amanda Thebes, Celine Yeager um, do some, does uh, do, does an interview with me, um, and it also goes into a lot of depth about the menopause experience, the physiology how you train specifically to address those physiologic concerns. And then um, I end with uh, a module on business development of how mm -hmm. to build your business as a fitness professional in the menopause health space. Awesome. I'm, I'm taking your course. I love it so far. It's great. Oh, I'm glad. So thank great. you for the resources. I know we could hog you for a few more hours here, but being respectful of your time. Thank you for all of the information that you're sharing in your, on your website, on your blogs, all the things that you're putting out there here in the podcast as well. I'm sure That's listeners are great opportunity. wanting so much more. So we'll, we'll uh, get to our high five questions. Dr. Carla, this is just quickie, quickie uh, round table question, just to get a little bit more info, maybe more personal insight to you. Um, if that's okay with you, we'll get into it. Of course. Okay. Go for it. Uh, number one, what is your end of day wind down routine? If you have one, I sit on the couch with my husband and we will watch a series that we might be watching. Mm -hmm. uh, right now we're watching game of Thrones, Chicago fire, Chicago mm -hmm. PD and the Sopranos. And so we will oh, sit down it. and <laughs> alternate, uh, on, uh, on Netflix or wherever. And, uh, that's, that's how we wind down at the end of the day. Oh, that's a great wind down for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. The second high five question, what's a hobby of yours that not many people know about? Oh my God. Do I even have yeah. a hobby? It used I to know. Be fitness, but now it's my second job. <laughs> oh my God. My hobby. I did. My goodness. Okay. Yeah. I love space. I love oh. space. Like whenever there's a documentary on supernovas and black holes, I'm there. Yeah. I'm, oh I'm watching gosh. it. I, I would wow. I would be I would be like either a storm chaser or a wet yeah. or a meteorologist um if I had time to have a hobby. Oh I love it. that is so it. fun to learn. <laughs> uh okay, number three, what is your favorite breakfast or your favorite first meal of the day? My shake. I make a whole food shake, usually some from some fresh frozen fruit that I bought and chopped up and I put it with my whey protein and my collagen. And uh, that is my favorite way to start the day. Awesome. Do, you, do you use a milk or is it water-based? I use um, almond milk. Almond milk. Okay. Just wondering. Perfect. Sounds delicious. I know Dean and I are huge uh, smoothie aficionados also. So, um, okay. Number four, and this is kind of a two-part question. What is your favorite body weight exercise? And what is your favorite with weight exercise? My 
favorite body weight exercise is probably the push up. Okay. That's my favorite to do because yeah. yeah. I can do them. Um, right, so right, right. I, I like what you can do. My favorite <laughs> weighted exercise is probably the bench press. Okay. All right. I'm a very oh. upper body dominant athlete. Um, yeah. I awesome. am more very um, speed, agility. I don't move yep. a ton of weight, especially with my legs, but I, I do have a pretty strong upper body um, just because of all the sports that I've, I've done. That's just the type yep. of athlete I am. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. That is so cool. All right. Final question. If you had one piece of advice to give to all athletes out there, what would that piece of advice be? Eat enough. And I'm not just saying it because oh. I'm on with you, um, but yeah. really, it, you are what you eat. Um, and, and I know that's cliche, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it, it holds true. I mean, nutrition is the foundation of everything. It really is. So if you eat nothing, no, we won't fill in oh, that blank. No. Not that you're not nothing, but, but <laughs> oh no, it's, it's, no, I, I love that message. It, it's, it's so powerful just in such a short phrase, right? Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. also Italian. I mean, I grew up around food, food yeah. is in, in my culture. Oh. So, um, so yeah, I'm very I fortunate am, to have grown up around Carla, food. I am the same way. Italian, it's like food is, food is everything, right? Yeah. And when people like your food that you cook, you're like, yes, it's like so much love right there. And, you know, I'm always the, try it, try it, try it. Cause when I grew up, it was the whole manja, 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 right? You're too skinny. You need to eat, eat, eat. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Only Italians understand that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Carla, we so appreciate the time you've taken out of your extremely busy day. I am super excited to follow literally your next career as kind of you put it right. Once you head down to Florida, but you're already starting now. And I love that Dina is taking your course. I'm, I think I'm going to jump into that too, because there's always knowledge to be had. And again, this episode, I think will be tremendously listened to for so many probably years to come because it's so important for all female athletes, but we just really want to thank you. And we'll put all of your, everything in the show notes. Um, so everybody can find you, your courses, you name it. So I just really want to say, I appreciate that. Oh, thank yes, you. It was thank a, you. Be here. It's been a fun podcast and I appreciate the time your listeners have taken out to join us today. And uh, mm -hmm. thank you for the opportunity to reach out to them. Absolutely. And I, and I feel like we're going to reach out to you in the future also, especially when you get down to sunny Florida and see what you're up oh, to yeah. in, those, in that phase of your life. Right. So <laughs> we, we thank you and listeners, we thank you for being here today and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, Dr. Carla. Again. Bye everybody. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 69, where Dina and I sat down with Dr. Car Carla and discussed hormones and female physiology. I hope you found uh, kind of the new women's performance endocrinology field, which is just evolving. And Dr. Carla is stimulating that and pioneering that. But I hope hope you found that really, really interesting. There's so much more to be done in that. So hopefully you got a lot of golden nuggets from that episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, You Can which is a revolutionary sports nutrition product that supports blood sugar and steady energy levels throughout the day and during and training and competition. We absolutely love them. All right, so stay tuned for next week's episode when we do a deep dive into metabolic efficiency testing. So we've heard some stuff, social media, other health professionals talking about some metabolic efficiency testing, and you know not all of it is correct. So we're gonna kind of put some of this to 
to bring it to light. I'm going to discuss specifically uh, more about the testing, what it is, what it can do for you. So what are the value and what are the outcomes of this testing and how it's done uh, in relation to what we do with it nutritionally. So definitely don't want to miss that because that is a great going to be a great episode on how to improve your health and performance and just overall well-being using a great physiological test. If you do have a sport nutrition question that you'd like us to address on a future episode, just email us. Shoot us an email, hello at insidesportsnutrition.com, and let us know what it is. We'll feature you on an upcoming Ask Us Anything episode. We'd absolutely love uh, those questions. And if you would love to have your support in promoting our podcast, head on over to your podcast platform of choice, give us a rating, five-star review would be fantastic. Just really helps us grow and share our content uh, with athletes all around the world. If you would like some more information about what Dina and I, Dina and I do, please head on over to my website, energyperformance.com. That's E-N-R-G performance.com and check out Dina's at nutritionmechanic.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and the guest involved and do not represent a replacement for medical consultation with your doctor. The information and opinions provided here are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or medical condition. This podcast is for information, education, and entertainment purposes only. 